The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. Like you, Shanna had all kinds of questions about money and finances from a very young age. She learned to not be frightened of financial discussions and became an expert on managing money in the process. Shanna and her guests are here to demystify money, investing, and personal finance. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. Let's get started. Here's your host, Shanna Tinjum. Welcome to Making Money Fun. My name is Shanna Tinjum. I am your host. I am also a registered investment advisor and co-owner of Heritage Financial Strategies, a full-service financial firm in Gilbert, Arizona. And I am super excited to introduce our guest today to all of you. I will tell you a little bit about her as we get started. But Luann Lofton is here and is going to really help guide the conversation about investments. Um, with all of us today. So her background is really cool to me because I've been a huge fan of Motley Fool for a lot of years, as well as the subject of her first book. So Luann Lofton has been with Motley Fool since January of 2000. She was first a writer and then later as the managing editor for all of the Fool's online content and currently as a contract writer and editor. Her book, Warren Buffett, Invest Like a Girl and Why You Should Too, was published in June 2011 and debuted at number five on the Wall Street Journal's best sellers list. As a largely self-taught investor and believer in taking the long-term view, her interests and portfolio lean towards owning stocks she can easily understand and then holding on to them forever. She's also a Berkshire Hathaway B-Share shareholder and has no plans to sell that stock ever. Ever, Mr. Buffett would be proud. Welcome, Luann. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on. And I loved your book and the cover especially. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> uh, that's a great way to to, uh, to get to meet uh, an icon in the investing industry. You did get the chance to meet Warren, yes? I did. I mean, even uh, today, it is as surreal to me as it was <laughs> it happened. But yeah, when um, when I was working on the book and you know, doing the research and writing it, we'd settled on that title pretty early on, and we knew what the book was going to be about, obviously. But mm-hmm. I had a, several people ask me along the way, um, you know, does Mr. Buffett know what you're writing? Does he know what you're saying about him? And <laughs> I always had to say at that point the truth, which was no, but I think you will, one, get the humor in it, and two, recognize that uh, that's the truth, that that is how he invests. And so he was really gracious, and I got to meet him at brunch after the Berkshire um, Hathaway shareholders meeting, and it was was 
really just once in a lifetime special opportunity. Well, that's amazing. I am from Des Moines, Iowa. A lot of people that are listening probably don't know that, which is a stone's throw to Omaha. And so not only do I do I love his investment uh, philosophies and his background in investing from from a pur- purely technical perspective, but I sort of feel like he's a neighbor uh, being that close to, to where I grew up. And I, and I know people that actually know him from you know, back in the day, and and they, th- a lot of them tell me that he is just as he seems, um, oh, a very yeah, down to earth kind of guy. Did you find that? I can confirm that. <laughs> yes, that's great. You know, you never know in these situations. I was a little nerve wracking. Like, is it going to, you know, be just an image or or something that's that's not the truth? And I will say, he was exactly as I wanted him to be. He was oh. funny. Like, made you know, had just a really warm, um, welcoming sense about him when when I met him. Loved telling people what the book was called. Introduced me to his two sisters <laughs> and said, told them about it and. We all took pictures, and um, and so it was just a you know dream come true, really, yeah. uh, to have his, <laughs> his sort of acceptance of the book and of me. Oh wow, that's amazing! Now tell me a little bit about what led you to want to write the book. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you know it's interesting. So I mean, I'll, I'll take a few steps back before even my um, professional career, and and just give you a little background of how I actually became an investor. Sure. Um, which that's how that's how I got led to Warren Buffett in the first place. So um, you know, I grew up in a small town in South Mississippi. Um, literally had three stoplights <laughs> and um, didn't know anything about investing. That was not something that my family talked about, mm-hmm. or that I, I didn't know anyone who knew about investing. Um, and when I was fourteen, my father passed away suddenly, oh. and um, and. I knew because I had a sister who was 22 at that time that when I turned 21, I would be getting a small, you know, settlement from like a life insurance policy that he had set aside for mm-hmm. the three kids. Not a ton of money, um, but when I was getting to be about probably 19, 20, 21, I started thinking, "Oh gosh, I need to do something with this. I need yep. to figure this out. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to." Um, be a typical 21-year-old um, and just blow the money. So I just started reading everything I could get my hands on and researching it and trying to learn about it. I mean, we're talking everything from day trading to technical analysis to commodities to futures. Oh and all of that was just so over my head. <laughs> it remains so. Uh, yeah. And, and then I just stumbled across this biography of this guy, Warren Buffett, written by another just wonderful man called um, Andrew Kilpatrick. And mm-hmm. and Buffett wasn't, I mean, he was well known at that point, obviously well known enough to have a biography, but not like it, not like it is today. Mm-hmm. And so it was totally unknown to me. And I read that book and just thought, oh, similar to what you were saying, here's a guy who's in Omaha. He invests in companies he knows and he understands. He's not in New York trying to, you know, live yeah. a fast paced highlight. And so from him, um, I really just sort of thought I can do this. I can I can find companies that I can hold on to that I can understand. Companies I'm familiar with their products, mm-hmm. and so that's how I started investing. And um, then when I found the Motley Fool, it was like coming home in a sense because that's exactly <laughs> what the Fool does. And yes. I. And they advocate for um, the little guy, in my opinion, or the little gal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You know, you can do it yourself. You're capable of it. Um, yep. You have the answers in front of you. Don't let Wall Street talk you out of it. And so from there, we just, the book sort of really started coming into like, fruition, really, in our minds, I guess, 
about um, 2007, Mm -hmm. just looking at different studies that had come out about women investing and men investing and the differences. And it was really fascinating. And we just started thinking, oh, my gosh, look at, you know who this sounds like. This sounds like Warren Buffett, someone (laughs) who's holding for the long term, who's investing in things he understands. And so from there, you know, Warren Buffett invests like a girl was really born. Wow. That is, that is really cool. And there are a couple of points I want to pull out about what you just said. But the first one that I want to make sure that everybody um, caught as you were explaining a little bit about your background is that you are a sort of self-taught do-it-yourself investor, which sounds a little counterintuitive. Here I am an investment advisor um, bringing on somebody like you that has pretty much taught themselves how to do it and does it all on your own. But I think that there's room for both of us and some combination of those with almost everybody that's out there listening today because what I always tell my clients is you should never just take my advice just because I'm telling you it's the right thing to do. I at least want you to understand what I'm recommending on a very basic level, and if you don't, don't do it, which is, I think, Warren's philosophy as well, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yes, and I would 100% agree with you that there's room for everyone. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, my entire uh, goal, honestly, when I'm meeting people or talking to them about the book or about investing is to at least take that first step of thinking, okay, I need to do something here. And that's okay. We're not, I'm certainly not advocating that everyone trying to become the next Warren Buffett. I don't (laughs) think any of us can do that. But if you can at least start asking questions and start going down the path. um, And I totally agree with you. I love your philosophy with the way you work with your clients. That, That to me is so brilliant. And so helpful to just help you know people shouldn't be afraid to ask questions I mean that's the whole thing they shouldn't they should never feel like um oh I don't know anything and that person is the professional I guess I just have to take what they say no that's that's not the case at all well and, and I'm glad you said that because the actual topic and title of today's podcast is what the questions to ask a financial professional and that's One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because even as an individual investor that has done it yourself, you've probably asked yourself or of investments some of these questions, and that's kind of why I wanted your input on some of the questions that people that might be listening should ask a financial professional before they invest money with them, because one of the things that I find, even more so with women than men, but I will say as a, as a general rule in my practice is some people, you know, they'll come in and they think they have a decent handle on the, the money, you know, inflow and outflow of their household. But when you start asking more detailed, in-depth, why questions around their 401k or investments that they've made in the past, it's like a deer in the headlights. There's a block there somewhere that just their brain just turns off. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think a lot of people really even know the questions they should ask before they actually give somebody some money to invest or trust them with that side of their life. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted to have you in this conversation, Luann, because one of the things I know about Warren Buffett is that his investment style is very, very similar to mine, as I've already mentioned. And that's a question you should ask a financial professional before giving them any money whatsoever. Because if you're at all uncomfortable with how they're philosophy melds with yours or their core beliefs, then it will not be a match made in heaven. It will be miserable for both of you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I 
I think that's really smart advice. Now, now tell me a little bit, when you when I say investment style, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit um, earlier that Warren Buffett is 100% a buy and hold investor. He loves companies that he knows and likes and trusts. And in a lot of cases, he can even put his hands on those companies by going in and looking at their operations prior to investing in them, which isn't necessarily something you or I could do, but right. we could take that and dial that back a little bit and look at companies where we use the products, we buy the products, we love the products, we understand the products and services that they provide, and, and that should give us some level of comfort as an investor, correct? Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, when you look at a guy like Buffett, um, you know, what you really see is someone that's buying great companies and he can understand how they operate, how they make money. Um, they have, you know, what you and I might call, and this is a tech, not a technical term really, but a strong moat. I yes. mean, what we mean by moat or a competitive advantage is something like, let's look at Coca-Cola, which has mm-hmm. long been associated with Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. Coca-Cola's brand, you know, you better believe all over the world there are companies that would love to undo Coca-Cola, but Coca-Cola's brand for them is such a competitive advantage. Um, and you can look at that. I mean, these are companies that on your own, yeah, we're definitely probably not going to get an executive at Coke to pick up the phone if we were <laughs> to call them. But that's okay because, you know, what you have today, the benefit for individual investors, um, it's just all the free available information online. I yes. mean, you can go to Coke's website, go to their investor relations section and read all the 10Ks and the 10Qs. And Buffett didn't have that. You know, mm-hmm. the, you read stories of him going into libraries and going through these huge, huge hundreds of pages of um, S&P reports. And they wouldn't even let him. He had to copy this stuff by hand, you know. You right. Let him. I mean, that it's incredible. So I will say that that is a huge thing that we can do now that as investors, we have that benefit. Um, and the other thing, too, which I love for, for individual investors is that um, we're not, it sounds funny, but we're not stymied by our gigantic wealth. <laughs> Buffett is limited in what he can invest in, actually. Yeah. You know, now he's he almost has to just buy the companies outright or buy a huge chunk of them. Yes, um, yes. When you're a small investor, you can come across a tiny company like, you know, like maybe the container store or, you know, something like that, which mm-hmm. is not very big um, and that allows us to be able to invest in them because we're able to buy a couple of shares here and there if you want to if mm-hmm. you've done your research and mm-hmm. you feel good about that that's a tremendous advantage um, over Buffett so yeah I definitely think there's a lot that we can do um, that alleviates the fact that we can't <laughs> just yeah. can't call up management and get a sit down with them that's okay yeah that's for sure and a lot of publicly traded companies that you might be looking to invest in may even have recordings of their earnings call on their website. And what I've told a lot of, of my clients is, you know, some the 10Ks can be inordinately confusing. Warren yes. writes his uh, humorously. I love reading his. Um, but most publicly traded companies try to make that as complicated as possible. However, the earnings calls are really enlightening sometimes. And if, if those are available on the website or something as an investor where you can call in and listen, it is more education than you can almost get anywhere else. It's really, really interesting to listen to those. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I I completely agree. And yeah, most of those are available now. Um, yeah. I mean, we, even the day of, you know, you can be listening along with the big time analysts. You got who, it. You know, paid and you're right in there with them. Um, so it's a, it's a really wonderful time, I think, to be 
a small retail individual investor. You got um, it. We have a lot of opportunities ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. And you know, that's the that's another thing that I wanted to uh, to to ask you about and 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 chat a little bit about before we head into our first break here today. Is you know, the smaller investor may have some trouble coming up in in coming years with some of the rules and regulations in my industry that are changing. But my philosophy has always been investors have to start somewhere. So I love working with those smaller investors to get them started and get them on the right track and really help them understand what's going on. But a lot of folks in my industry don't simply because the money is just not there in, in fees and commissions and whatnot in order to make it, quote unquote, worth their time. Um, and that's something that I wanted to mention kind of as we go into break, that there are in so many different ways that those of us that are in our industry get paid. And the, the right place to start may be with a financial advisor. It may also be trying to figure this out on your own with the help of an advisor or reading a great uh, resource like The Motley Fool. And so as we go into the break, I just wanted to have a, a quick just sort of primer on how financial professionals get paid because that's a question that I'm asked all the time. And it's really important to know what is going to be coming out of the money that you're investing and who it's going to be going to. And so as we head into the break, I just want to bring to your attention there are kind of three different ways really that we get paid. One is commissions or fees, just like if you were to go to a discount broker and pay a flat fee to trade. We have fees that are higher than that, obviously, because we're full service brokers. But if you're buying a share of stock, we're not going to be the best option. It would definitely be a better option to go and try to do it yourself. But if you're buying larger chunks of stock, that's where we become much more competitive. So if you're buying a share of stock or a bond, let's say, there's a cost to buy it and a cost to sell it. And part of that cost comes to us as the advisor. We could also charge a money management fee, which is a percentage of assets under management. No trading fees apply in that case, but it can be anywhere between 1% and 4% is what I've seen in our industry. And then also one of the things I could do if you don't want me to manage your money is I could charge you a financial planning fee just to give you some advice on what you've got going on, what you might need to look at, what pitfalls and, and those types of things you might need to look at in the future, and and how we can mitigate some of those risks. So with an independent advisor like myself, you've got so many different options that I don't want cost to be any concern to to meeting with somebody because I think there's always benefit to just sitting down and having a second opinion, which Warren has said time and time again, he really values that outside counsel, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, his longtime business partner, Charlie Munger, is really the guy, they, they bounce ideas off of each other. They really value that. So I think that's, yeah, that is a huge, huge advantage and benefit. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think it's really, really important to have another set of eyes just mm-hmm. to make sure as you're learning that you're focusing on the right things and you're not letting what you're hearing in the news and on the internet and all the stuff that's going on outside of the world influence your investing decisions because that's one of the things that I see as one of the biggest pitfalls with individual investors that don't have somebody helping them out is that uh, they let the news media influence their buy and sell decisions, which when we come back from the break, we'll talk a lot more about the emotion around investing, which is one of the reasons why I think you titled your book the way you did, (laughs) Uh, because I think that there's a lot of value in kind of the perspective that a lot of women have. And that is one of the things that I love so very much about the book that you wrote is that we can all adopt that uh, girl philosophy and mindset. So we'll be back very shortly 
Bailey with Luann Lofton, and this is Making Money Fun with Shanna Tingem. Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, registered representative, securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, investment advisor representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. Welcome back to Making Money Fun. I'm Shanna Tingem, and I am here having a fantastic discussion with Luann Lofton, the author of a fabulous book on one of my idols, Warren Buffett, titled Warren Buffett, Invest Like a Girl and Why You Should Too. And that's what I want to talk about, Luann, in our second segment today, is really kind of why you feel Warren Buffett has a quote-unquote female temperament and what that really means to his history as an investor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting because the studies about uh, how women tend to invest and how men tend to invest really go back at this point to about um, the year 2000. I mean, so they've wow. people have been looking at this for a good long while. And, you know, the studies show that women um, tend to be patient rather than impulsive, realistic rather than overconfident, and prudent rather than reckless. Okay. Um, you know, women tend to think longer term, take much less risk, um, and in general, view investing sort of less as a game or a competition, mm. uh, less as a way to keep score, more as a way to meet long-term goals to help our families, um, whether it's, you know, help your kids go to college or to help your mother in retirement or whatever the case may be. Women tend to have that that broader sort of longer-term outlook rather than just uh, – trying to rack up big returns in a really short period of time. Um, Women also do more research, tend to ask more questions. Um, And, you know, the thing that comes up a lot is that we do tend to trade less. You know, Mm. there's one study, sort of the study that kicked all this off, showed that men traded 45% more than women. um, And single men actually traded 67% more than the men. Yeah. And that also can come into play when you're looking at the idea of overconfidence as well. Um, Men tend to be more overconfident investors. And Mm -hmm. so 
when you're sort of looking at all of these things together, you end up with a sort of calm, patient demeanor um, or temperament, you know, sort of way of managing your emotions that to me really synced up with how I think Warren Buffett has become the guy that he has. So Mm -hmm. he's always been... I, right after, um, early on, he was in New York, very briefly, but then almost immediately came back to Omaha, yep. where he has just done his thing. Yes, he insists on understanding the company. His favorite holding period is forever. You know, that's <laughs> one of Buffett's biggest quotes. Um, and he's always, always said that it is actually temperament and not intellect that will make you a great long-term investor. And I think that's where people get really hung up, is that they want to, they you know, jump into the market and learn everything they can and then oh gosh something has happened I you know Brexit or whatever <laughs> case may be people panic um, and sell when they shouldn't and um, that is about the least Buffett like thing you can possibly do I mean managing your emotions in the market is so hard but it is for the long-term investor it is a critical key to success yes I would agree with you and ironically I read your book um, on a plane on the way to vacation the day Brexit happened so I was locked in a plane with no Wi-Fi and no outside connection to my clients and for about 10 minutes I panicked and then I thought to myself you know what I've taught them all that this is actually a good thing markets correct and this is a short-term problem that may present an opportunity if you've got cash sitting on the sidelines but in the long-term scheme of their goals in their life this is just going to be a blip in the radar and um, that's sort of how it played out. I sent an email out to all my clients that Saturday and said, okay, thank you for not blowing up my phones. You know I'm on vacation. <laughs> and I would, I've told, I would have told you not to sell anyway. So here we are. And, and I think that the, those of us that have been through 2001 or more, even more recently 2008 have a little bit more of a tolerance for the crazy, you know, eventuality of market ups and downs. But you mentioned that that temperament piece that women tend to have a little bit more of, and and patience was a word that you used for sure, and I think that that is 100%, that patience aspect is almost 100% why Warren Buffett has been successful in his entire career, because he, you know, he will admit when he's made a bad purchase, when he's made a dumb decision that wasn't in keeping with his core values, but he will certainly take that patience and and try to make that purchase into something that is going to you know prove to be a better scenario in the long run which i think as a general rule and and i think your research that you just talked about sort of proves this out that men are much more quick to pull the trigger when something isn't quote going their way when it when when you were in in the investment world do you do you see that as well yeah oh absolutely i mean there's um a study that that is in the book um, that came out of Vanguard where they actually analyzed um, 2.7 million IRA accounts. Mm -hmm. And they looked at the activity in those accounts during the market panic in the fall of 2008 and the beginning of 2009. And they found that men were much more likely to panic and sell at the bottom while women patiently waited it out. And, you know, let's think about what happens when you do that, when you... Uh, give way to your emotions and sell at the bottom of a market like that. Mm-hmm. Probably not even the bottom. I mean, you're selling all the way down. Right. Um, you're just locking in those losses and you're completely making it impossible for yourself to benefit um, from the market turning around. Yeah. Now, you know, I definitely know another one of Buffett's big quotes, and this one especially gets all the play, but 
uh, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. People were really, I remember that uh, in the Motley Fool offices, <laughs> you know, all of us relying on that. And that is, I will say, that is easier said than done. Uh, <laughs> it yeah. is, you have an idea, you have money on the sidelines, you have your uh your you know list of stocks you want to be interested in, but you know, I was I bought a few things right as Lehman was filing bankruptcy that very first week in September, um, and I should have bought more. But yeah. hey, it's an ongoing learning process. I didn't sell at least, <laughs> but it's like you said. I think it, it just takes practice. It really does. You know, mm-hmm. I was invested through two thousand two thousand one, so I watched all that. Um, and I didn't panic and sell. I watched 2008, 2009. I didn't panic and sell and even, yes, managed to we can get to the fortitude to buy things. <laughs> so this recent little dust up with Brexit or, you know, whatever, whatever they've been mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, they don't even, I mean, 2% to me is nothing. nothing. I mean, <laughs> it, honestly, I see it on CNBC, which when you turn it on and you just think the world's ending, there's oh. eight heads in a box and flashing red letters and, <laughs> oh, breaking news. And um, I thought, are you joking? Like, right. I remember the fall of 2008, th- stocks falling 8% in a day, <laughs> day after day after yeah. day. So, but that is the thing. I mean, I'm so glad you you can counsel your clients on that because I think that, um, to me, that is the biggest risk to your financial health yes. is that you will let your emotions get the better of you. The patient thing is it does take work. You have to develop it, but it can be done. You just have to tune out the noise. Think about, you know, CNBC wants you to keep the TV on. So they're oh, going to yeah. keep ramping it up and trying to scare you. Yeah. <laughs> Just stick with your plan. Have a plan. Yeah. Stick with it. Think of the long term. Yeah, and yeah. ideally, you've been working with a great financial planner or you're doing it on your own and you have years ahead of you to invest, you know, and you're, so you have you have an idea of what you're working towards. You just have to keep that front and center. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's so important because, you know, th- that's one of the things that I tell my clients all the time is that if, if the news were all rosy, CNN and Fox News and whatnot, they wouldn't sell advertising. So, of course, they're going to make it sound way worse than it is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of a joke that I use in my office sometimes is, you know, when the news is horrible and and you, you know, you, you, you want to bail out, that's when you should throw a brick through your TV and just, you know, ignore it because the opposite is usually really true. It's usually a good opportunity if indeed you have the fortitude to press that buy button. And you mentioned in your book that, you know, those purchases you made on that fateful day that Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy was probably one of the hardest purchases you've ever made. Yeah, they really were. You know, and it was funny because they were um, stocks I already had shares of. So mm-hmm. they were companies that I felt comfortable with and familiar with and, and I wanted to own more of. Um, so it wasn't even about the idea, but I'm a human too. Yes. <laughs> That was that was, that was scary. I mean, I will say, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. We it, it was unprecedented. We didn't know really what was going to happen next. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it was it was a challenge. But I'm still so happy that I did that. Um, that I bought those stocks, and they are you know companies I continue to to hold. Yeah. Um, but you do have to just find that and. and and above all, at least don't sell. Even if you <laughs> don't have the cash or you can't find it in yourself to buy when it's, you know, you haven't developed that sort of um, fortitude yet, at least don't let yourself panic and sell and just lock in those those big losses. Yeah, yeah, that that is so important. 
and and that's one of the things when when a client calls me, and it's rare because I, I try to do a good job of prepping them for the inevitable. But when a client calls me on, on days like bre- Brexit or whatever we've got going on in in the general world, I mean this this year in particular has been fraught with crazy mm-hmm. market gyrations because of the ridiculous election cycle we're in the middle of. So, you know, that hasn't been helpful. But but when somebody calls me and says, hey, you know, what should we should we sell? What do you think? My answer is almost inevitably, what do you think I'm going to say? Right. <laughs> because I, we've, we've talked about this and this is not unusual. And in the grand scheme of things, it's totally normal. So, you know, I know that it's hard. And I for my own I- portfolio, I have to practice what I preach. And it, it isn't easy. Mm-hmm. But it, it certainly it certainly helps sometimes to have that second set of eyes because what I often tell my clients is it's not my money. I'm not emotionally attached to it. I'm also not emotionally attached to the investments that you own. We've mm-hmm. bought them for a good reason. And I, if it, if the reason, if the time is right to sell them, I'm going to tell you that. And I'm not going to be attached to, you know, whatever the ticker symbol is or whatever company you've invested in, because I, that's not how I'm paid. I'm paid to manage your emotions, not to have my own. So I think that, you know, it's important to remember that whether it's a investment advisor or financial advisor or just somebody, a friend or family member that can be the calm in the storm, I think it's so important to have that person to level set you when times get tough and you want to do what you know in your heart you shouldn't do. I know. I Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, it's funny because I think um, – and maybe this is just a societal thing. I'm not cultural. I'm not even sure. But th- there's this feeling sometimes where I, I think investors think if they're not doing something, yes. then um, then they're just failing somehow. And like, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not <laughs> the no. case at all. Actually, inaction is you know what you should be striving for when you get your plan set up. I'm talking about yes. when you have ideas in place and and you have things executed. Don't mess with it. Um, trust that you've done the right thing. Yes, like exactly what you were saying. You guys have talked through it and um, and looked at what you're trying to achieve. But there is, it's just funny, I, there's this belief, and I've talked to other investors about this too. I just need to be doing something. And, you know, Buffett himself has described his own um, <laughs> action as like verging on sloth-like. So, <laughs> I love that. I thought that was awesome because that that is a real misconception about people, whether they're investing on their own or working with an advisor. And I get that question a lot. It's like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, hey, nothing. And that's good. Like, we we have a good plan. There is no reason to 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 sell anything. There's no reason to buy anything. And and if that and if nothing is the answer, I'm good with that. And if it, you know that that's where it really helps to have that initial conversation with about investment style with somebody you might be looking to trust because if if and I know advisors that do a great job buying and selling stocks for their clients because that's what they love to do that's not me if that's what you're looking for if that's what you want I'm not the right fit for you you're going to be frustrated with me and I'm going to be frustrated with you so I think it's important and even taking that a step further it's important if you're in a relationship with your spouse or significant other that you have this conversation because of the difference, Luann, like you just said, with men and women, men tend to want to trade and move things around. I call it horse trading, by the way. They tend to want to trade and move things around and finagle, and women like to just buy something and make it, you know, m- make it stick around for the long term. And that can create some tension in relationships if if you haven't talked about how you're going to handle those differences once they arise, correct? 
Yes, absolutely. That's a really great point. Yeah. I, I mean, that that conversation has to happen um, to where you both at least respect the other one and feel comfortable with it. And, you know, it's amazing. Everything that, that I've read and seen points to the fact that you you as a family, you as a couple, um, however many people are involved, if it's kids or just the two of you, you know, you'll be better off long term because you have done this together, because yep. you are working together. I mean, even the idea of, you know, cognitive diversity, when they've studied, um, if they have teams of just women or teams of just men making decisions, the teams that make the smartest decisions are actually women and men working together, you know, and yes. I, I think that probably applies when we're looking at investing even as well, because you're each going to bring a sort of different uh, temperament to the, you know, to the equation, um, and you have to, yeah, you got to get on the same page because I've heard those same sort of stories where, you know, the one partner really, really wanted to be taking action when the market was falling and um, and the other one didn't. And mm. <laughs> that's just adding stress to an already stressful situation. So try to look at the positives of what you bring to this together, how you can help each other. I mean, even if it's getting ideas for investments, you know, women, we're out there you'd see different numbers, but if they're making 73% of the household budgeting decisions, we're deciding where the money is going, we're yes. interacting with these companies, you're talking to your friends um, about where they're spending their money, those can really end up in some great investment opportunities. And Peter Lynch, who's one of the greatest um, fund managers of all time, used to follow his wife and his daughter around <laughs> the mall. <laughs> yeah, I remember that story, which is brilliant, by the way, because that's exactly what I tell my clients to do is, you know, look, open your checkbook when you're when you're looking for an investment that you can be passionate about. Open your checkbook and see where you're spending your money. Obviously, they're doing something right as a company because you're spending your money. So let's yeah. let's start there and and move forward. And I think, you know, on the flip side of that, men like to find the cool, new, hot stock and something somebody nobody knows about and whatever their brother-in-law is saying at the cocktail party is the next big thing. And I, and I think that, that there needs to be a balance there between the two. And actually, in a few weeks, on the 29th of July, we have a special guest coming on the show, Kelsa Dickey, with Fiscal Fitness Phoenix. And her whole company is built around helping people communicate about money. And I'm super excited to have her on the show because she's going to shed some light on that topic specifically because there can be a whole hour devoted to that conversation oh, yeah. for sure. Um, but when we come back from um, our last break in our last segment t- today, Luann, I want to talk about some of the the maybe well-known or maybe not so well-known I- investments that Warren has made. And I, I was really interested to hear the story of that actually how his company was named. I did not know that story until I read your book. And there are also some other kind of famous investments that he's made that he will readily admit were probably not his his finest hour. And so I want to talk a little bit about those when we come back and then dial it back a little bit on a micro level, how as investors we can keep from making on a much smaller scale those same mistakes that Warren made with uh, with those investments that, that we're going to talk about. So I really want to um, end our hour today with some actionable tips that the listeners can use to to start immediately making some better investment decisions and to feel more confident and comfortable in those decisions that they make. Because I think confidence, nine times out of 10, is going to trump anything else that they do in the market. If you're going to make a, a mistake, let's make it pretty confident and make it big and, and, and own it. And that's one of the things that Warren talks a lot about. Um, you talk a lot about in the book, 
about Warren is that you know if he's gonna he's gonna do something he's gonna go big or go home and he's gonna own it and uh, and so that's what I want to talk about when we come back in our last segment this is Shanna Tingem with the Making Money Fun Show Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, registered representative, securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, investment advisor representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. Welcome back to Making Money Fun. I am your host, Shanna Tingem, and I am here today with Luann Lofton, who wrote a fantastic book about Warren Buffett and his tendency to invest like a girl. And we know, uh, Luann and I both know from our history of sort of researching and getting to know the temperament and investing history of Mr. Buffett, that he is certainly not been right 100% of the time. And so there are some pretty public... Um, I don't know if he would call them mistakes. Maybe he would. That (laughs) He would, probably, because he's that kind of guy, I think. But there are some pretty public um, errors that he's made in either buying a company or buying it at the wrong time that that you wrote about, Luann, in your book that really interested me. And and the first one that I want to start with is sort of how Berkshire Hathaway became Berkshire Hathaway. That was a, a really cool and interesting story. And, and so I want you to share a little bit with our listeners about how that all transpired. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, Berkshire Hathaway, the it started out as a textile mill <laughs> um, <laughs> up in the Northeast. And uh, Buffett had bought another textile mill. He bought this one and you know, thought he could turn it around um, and really struggled with that. I mean, it, the business you know, that they were in, the industry, um, things were changing. And so he eventually decided that he wanted to buy the whole company um, and got into sort of a like back and forth little price war with the people that were selling Berkshire Hathaway. Mm. Um, and he will readily admit this was an ego mistake. He just... <laughs> He got worked up by this guy, sort of, he thought nickel and diming him. And so, oh, no. 
he ended up um, paying more for Berkshire Hathaway than he wanted to. Uh, but he ended up you know, buying the company outright, and, and that is how it became this little tiny textile mill, ended up becoming this behemoth, this holding company that we all know today. But he often will say that was his first big mistake, was he <laughs> let his ego get involved, um, and he ended up you know paying more for that company than he really should have, than it was worth, than he wanted to. However, I mean, I think we can all agree it seems like it's worked out. And, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, I would say that. You know, not such a bad situation. Um, yeah. He kind of made lemonade out of lemons. It sounds <laughs> like. Oh yeah. Exactly. But uh, but yeah, I think that you know that's one of the things that we 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 have to, as individual investors we kind of have to be careful of, especially if we're looking at companies that are kind of you know the hot new thing. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in before the tech bubble, everybody wanted to be in some sort of technology, and so. All of those companies were getting, you know, bit up, and they really didn't have a lot of, um, they didn't have a lot of proof behind their earnings. They didn't have a lot of them didn't even have earnings. Yes, exactly. Honestly, which is what Warren has famously said. I mean, he stays out of that world. And I know you mentioned this in your book, which I knew before I read the book. But he's a great friend of Bill Gates, and and still to this day, I don't think owns any part of Microsoft because it's just not a space that he's comfortable in. And so that's one of the things that I loved about the book that you wrote is that he really, when he holds true to his values and invests only in things that he understands and that that have the right fundamentals for him, that's when he feels like he can be the most successful. Correct. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and if you go back and look, you can find these headlines from 1999, 2000, you know, people calling Buffett. He, he was uh, a goner. He, he was <laughs> out of touch, you know, and he just held firm and people believed that he looked um, like he didn't know what he was doing, but uh, he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And he he just can't understand and couldn't then and can't now. I don't think that's he's just not comfortable mm-hmm. with understanding how these companies make money. He can't see it out in the future. He always talks about um, and a big concept in this world of sort of investing and value investing is your circle of competence, the yes. things that you understand. And technology companies are outside of Buffett's circle of competence. Now I will say, you know, it made news recently when Berkshire Hathaway they announced they had to because of their filings that they have invested in Apple. They've bought shares wow. of Apple Computer. But the catch for, they, and they don't break this out, but if you follow Berkshire, you know that he has brought on two guys over the last couple of years um, to help him invest Berkshire's money. You know, mm-hmm. he's looking ahead uh, to the future, to what happens when he sadly is no longer around. Yeah. And um, my belief is that it is one of those guys that yeah, bought the yeah. shares of Apple. You know, I thought that was pretty clear because I remember that headlines around that where people were just in shock because Buffett, as he lost it the other way now. And, <laughs> uh, no, I don't think that's the case. I yeah, think he's yeah. trusting his lieutenants to do what he's brought them in to do. Um, but I, you're exactly right. I love that Buffett sticks to what he knows. He doesn't care what people are saying about him. That's very hard. I mean, yeah. if you think about um, a public figure like that, uh, that's hard for him, I'm sure, yes. to yes. just ignore that kind of stuff. But he, he does it. Well, and for a lot of years, like you said, the, the people thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. He wasn't yeah. riding the wave of the technology boom. And subsequently, he wasn't crushed by the bust either. 
Right, exactly. You know, yeah. so he missed out on the big. Uh, well, yeah, I, 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 we all remember what he missed out on. <laughs> yeah, if you were there, you certainly. April of two thousand. Um, yeah, <laughs> you remember how that felt, which it wasn't good. But at that yeah. point, he he was kind of um, really touted as a genius because it, yeah. he he just said, "Hey, it's not in my wheelhouse. I'm not yeah. going to make it in my wheelhouse. I can't." go in, you know, and, pr- and prove any of my theories in these companies. So therefore, I'm just not going to get involved, which right. which was really cool. One of the things that he also really believes is that the market can't be beaten. Right. And, yeah. and I love that. If it, it, you know, in our, in, in, in the industry, it's called the efficient market theory. It, it pretty much, he pretty much believes that, that it, that you, that nobody's smarter than, than the market and you can't really beat it. So you might as well just hold on tight for the ride and, and right. if you buy good stocks, then they're always going to be a good investment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know he's a big believer. Um, as we, I mean, we are at the Motley Fool. I certainly am in the index fund. Yes. You know, in um, low cost, yep. broad market index fund. Whether that's a five, you know, S and P five hundred or the total market fund. I mean, mm-hmm. that even if it's um, if you just in your 401k at work that's you know that's a great way to start kind of getting nice diversification exposure to the markets for very little cost yep i absolutely agree with that and with a lot of the regulations we've got going on in our industry they're taking a lot of choice out of people's 401ks which can be seen as a good thing but what that leaves are a lot of index funds which you almost can't go wrong in -hmm. something like that because I believe what Warren believes that if you've got good diversification, you're just not going to be able to quote unquote beat the market. But having said that, where he feels like he's failed is when he doesn't hold true to his core beliefs. And one of the pretty famous mistakes that he feels like he made um, kind of hits home here in Phoenix because we we're we're a huge presence for what is now American, which used to be. U.S. Airways and used to be America West before that, but he calls it, what does he call it, his airaholic? Era <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and that came at a time for, for, for Warren that there weren't other great opportunities available, and everybody was saying, else was saying it was a good buy, which he right. readily admits is probably the biggest mistake he made was listening to what he calls confirmation bias. Everybody around him was saying, oh, Warren, that was such a great purchase. You made a good deal. That was a good thing. And he just really didn't listen to his gut in that scenario. Tell us a little bit more about that, Luann. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, he, um, <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. And he, you know, kept uh, making the mistake over and over, too. I mean, <laughs> You know, like would, I said, he, go big or go home, right? Yeah, he would buy it, and then you know things weren't going well, and he would buy more. Um, yeah, I think there's a quote somewhere. I'm, I'm trying to remember if I put it in the book or not, but he's been quoted saying something like, "You know, we need women to be running the airlines because like this <laughs> is not working out well the other way." Um, because yeah, it's just obviously it's a tough, tough industry, and he has talked about it and written about it. I mean, you know, he. He's one thing that you mentioned earlier, his um, annual letters, I'll just say a little side note here for anyone who wants to learn about investing. That is a really great place to start. Yes. You can go on Berkshire Hathaway's website and read um, all of his annual letters. He writes them in plain spoken you know, day-to-day speech. I mean, they're not highfalutin or they're not anything. And he always talks about, which I love about him, the humbleness of always talking about his mistakes, really being very hard on himself. And U.S. Air being one, um, Walmart was another one where he got, 
I think he would say he got greedy. He was waiting for, I think it was an eighth of a point uh-huh. in the stock. He knew he wanted to buy it. And um, he didn't. He, and he missed the stock. And I think it was $10 billion in profit <laughs> that he, he could have uh, he could have gotten had he just, you know, been willing to buy it for one-eighth um, more. Because he'll always talk about his mistakes of commission and his mistakes of omission. <laughs> um, that's how he always breaks them down. So, yeah, yep. the things that he did and the things he missed out on. So the things he did, U.S. Air is a great example of that. And the things he missed out on, um, Walmart at that I think he owns it now. So this yeah. Will be yeah. A while back, but Walmart at that particular price uh, will be one of his omissions. I yes, think. I would agree, and I and I think that that's, you know, th- that's an interesting conversation to turn to an individual investor's perspective. That you know, I think that when you're looking, I always get the question: Well, when's the right time to invest? And my answer is always the same, and it sounds kind of flip, but but I truly believe this: when you have the money is the right time to invest because if you're waiting for the perfect stock at the perfect price, it's, you know, you you might miss out on something fantastic. I mean, I've been a long time Apple investor, but not Mm -hmm. long enough. And I really wish that I pulled the trigger back when I, my husband got me my first iPod, which I thought was a ridiculous gift. Why would anybody carry (laughs) one of these around when I have a Walkman? And now look at me. We've got like nine Apple devices in our house, and I could just kick myself on that day for not going in and buying some Apple stock. Right. You know, but it, it, when you recognize that the opportunity is there, you should take it. And having a, a professional that can really help balance those emotions for you, I think, can, can be of benefit to a lot of, a lot of different a lot of different folks because it left to their own devices a lot, Luann, I don't think women will take that leap as often as men do. Do you find that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting looking at this book and um, looking at the studies for the book and writing the book and talking to different people. You know, I sometimes will think, well, what is it um, that women can learn from men? You know, I think that men, I think all investors, but men can learn um, how to adapt a more feminine temperament, you know, we want to talk about being patient and, and thinking long term and all of that. Uh, I think those are benefits for all investors. But what is it that, yeah, what can women learn from men? And I, I think it's um, getting started, you know, taking yeah. that first step, taking action. Now, we don't want to take too much action. So we don't <laughs> want to create a bunch of day traders here. Yes. But it is really critical because when you look at uh, those, the sort of landscape for women today, we, you know, we live longer um, than men tend to do. We, we still, on average, we earn less than men do over our working lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I just saw this stat the other day. It's still the same number. Um, a government statistics show that by the time a woman turns 64, she'll have missed out on $430,000 just attributable to the pay gap alone. Wow which is just a tremendous hill <laughs> to climb um, as a woman. And, you know, no one's going to do it for you. I mean, I, I don't wait for that. I would say yeah. you, you're, you have um, the, all the tools in front of you to start today and ask questions. Um, don't, don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait for someone to put you in a situation, whether it's a divorce or a death or something unfortunate like that, where you're kind of playing catch up mm-hmm. in a really difficult situation. Um, look at this as not something to be scared by, but as a challenge that you can totally tackle. You know, um, Women typically go into retirement with uh, retirement accounts about half as much as their male colleagues, you wow. know, and 
80% of women will be solely responsible for all the financial decisions in a household at some point in their lives, 80%. So my my message is don't wait. Don't wait to be forced into that 80%. Think about the fact that you are gifted with the tendency to have this, this incredible temperament to really approach investing like the greatest investor of all time, Warren Buffett. Um, take that opportunity. You know, wow. Start learning today. Set yourself up for comfort later in life for your retirement. Think about your kids. You know, Start today to help them um, go to the colleges you want to send them to or think about your beach house that you want. <laughs> um, so, you know, my... I, I just, I want women to recognize that, to approach it, to not be scared, um, even if it's just having a conversation. If, say, your partner or husband has been handling everything, just ask. That's, yeah. a, that's a tremendous first step. Just yeah. ask. Just get involved. Ask questions. Um, start today because we're all equipped to really, you know, do these, do these things and, and, um, and be great long-term investors. But you do have to start. <laughs> you have to start yes. somewhere. Oh, I think that that's so important, and I'm so glad that you said that as we close the show out today, because that's one of the, the things that I think I see a lot more in women than I do in men is just the, the the inaction, just not wanting to take the first step for fear that it's the wrong first step. And and I really feel like there is no wrong first step as long as you get in there and start learning and, and have somebody beside you that's helping teach you if you need that, you know, really just taking that first step and, and determining those goals and starting to put some money aside for those goals is really the best outcome we could all possibly ask for. And you'll be so much better off in the long run and you'll be so much happier in your golden years for having done that. And that's one of the big reasons, Luann, that I do what I do because I I don't want anyone listening, whether you're male or female, to end up in a situation 10, 20, 30 years from now that that you could have avoided. And so much of what I see in the elderly poor could absolutely have been avoided by better planning and really just taking some small steps. That's really all it takes are small steps today to, to give you the life in the future that you want. So Luann, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. Oh, thank you. And everybody, if you want her book, go to Amazon and download the Kindle version or buy the hard copy book. It is a fantastic book, really written in just normal speak. You're not going to be confused by it. You're not going to be frustrated by it. It's a great book to read about really how to design and develop that temperament to invest like Warren Buffett. And wouldn't we all want to be, at least in some way, like the best investor in the world? So thank you all so much much for listening. I'm Shanna Tingem with the Making Money Fun Show. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to catch the next episode of Making Money Fun with Shanna Tingem live next Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great weekend and an amazing week. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show, and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated.